Welcome to another episode of The Key Lies Within. Yay! Here I share the inner workings of thoughts and experiences I have or am going through as a form of therapy and a creative outlet for self, as well as discovering those conscious and unconscious happenings in an effort to create awareness. I've been moved to share my narrative, my perspective on being black in America. So when I was younger, I've always had, um, not an issue, but I just couldn't identify myself as being an African American because I was unaware of exactly where my roots lied. For instance, um, having great grandmother that was a native American and also a great great grandmother that had uh she was half black half white probably french and so i just never knew exactly where my ancestors were from even though there's fossils that prove that africa is the origin of people it's like my how did how do I know that my lineage didn't start in the United States with the native people that was already here or Mexico or wherever? But it's not. I, I've, that's the only reason I've had issue with that label. And so uh, basically what I'm going through is like a, my ideals and stages and so I opted to be just black black just felt right you know it didn't tie me to um, a certain country it didn't tie me to any um, any ethnicity because I wasn't underwear and I wasn't comfortable labeling myself as something that I wasn't or a culture that I really had no ties to. And so uh, when I was younger, black just felt like the best thing, even though it's not a true identifier of the complexion. Um, I do believe black became associated with my community because Black is always deemed as negative, the evil, like the dark side is always uh, have a negative connotation with it. And for as long as we've been in this country and who knows longer than that, we have been demonized for having this complexion and would demonize in an unfair way because it's almost like everybody dislikes us, but the most of the you know black people that I know they're cool, they lay back, they're very creative they they are very uh people orientated like they most of them have your back or they are realists or they have a way of enlightening you. And helping you 
you know, seeing different perspectives, you know, that's always been my experience. And so I just, you know, don't understand where's the issue in the, in the dislike. But so that's when my identity, uh, started. And then as a child, I was, it was never like the the talk of, oh, you a black little girl, you should be proud or uh, you shouldn't do this as a little black girl was never like the narrative. It was like, you know, I was aware I was a person. I was a little girl. It was things, you know, little girls shouldn't do like uh, play football or if you have a skirt on or a dress on to make sure you cross your legs and be polite. You know, growing up, I was just taught to be a good person and taught how to be outside of like a, a skin label. And pretty much up until I was like 11, I was only around black people. I had black school teachers. All my friends were black. My, my family members were black. My church members was black. When I went to camp, the the camp the camp instructors were black. It was like I had a first grade teacher that was white, and and then my elementary school teacher. I'm saying my elementary school principal was a white man, but other than that, I pretty the reflection around me for let's say like the first 11 years of my life was black so I never I never had any um any reason to question my complexion not being great because you know I didn't even have family members that pushed the whole light dark oh you even though I'm lighter complexion, but I have a brother that's darker complexion. I have a cousin that's darker complexion. And I never remember, you know, anybody saying, oh, uh, you better because you lighter than your brother or any craziness like that. And so that just wasn't a reality. Like, to be honest, I just wasn't really aware of any, any negative connotation with my skin color as a little girl. And so as I got older, um, yeah. And even like, even like the, um, the ideal of there being a single parent home and a two parent home as a kid, I just thought that's just how things happen. I didn't know. I wasn't aware of, you know, that, a single parent, a single mother, there's so many single mothers were raising their children because uh, it didn't work out with their father or he just didn't want to be around or whatever, you know. And then I didn't know, you know, as I grew up, you know, I kind of learned that it was part of a bigger picture, like the whole idea of uh, uh, breaking the black family up because as a a unit, a man and a woman, a black man and a black woman is very strong. They, they raise strong children. They make a good life for themselves and they impact 
you know, they're impactful. And I had no idea that that was what welfare goal was or the push was to destroy. Because if you on welfare, a woman have a woman cannot be in a household with a man. Like if they find out that her her boyfriend or her husband or whatever is living in the house that on paper is supposed to be her and her children, they would take they would strip her of those those uh those benefits. And, you know, the crazy thing is the whole ideal of welfare should not even be the case, you know. We should we should be able to have the same playing field as everybody else. Like um you know is 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 no way in this time that my generation should be the generation building generation wealth in their families, you know, or being the start of generation generational wealth. That stuff should have been, that opportunity should have been there and been on the forefront like it is for a lot of other people. But uh, my community in ways have been, uh, have been pinned against each other and told that we are like the scenario of the crab at the bottom of the barrel. You know, I'm, we, we fighting to get up. We're not, we not, nobody's not throwing a rope over the barrel and all of us getting out. It's like only a select few can get out. Like it can't be too many of us in certain fields or doing certain things. And it's like everything that that has happened to us. I'm not saying that we don't play a part in keeping it afloat, but we didn't create it. And so they keep things in place like welfare, uh, not compensating, paying people less than, what, $15, really less than $18 an hour. Like, who who can live off that? You know what I'm saying? If you want to be able to save and get a, have a good savings to invest your money to uh, to buy a home or to at least rent where you're not paying rent half of what you're making or pretty much all you're making is going to rent. If you want to be able to, if you have children, start things like 529 or open a line of credit or things like that. It makes it very hard to do that if you have little to no income. And it just baffles me that, you know, those wages are, and even coming out of college, you know, companies pay you less than $15. And that's, and, and I don't know if they do that because they, to, um, so once they start giving you increases and stuff like that from getting promotions and stuff, they have room to go up and not uh, payroll, not be so much on the company. But my thing is you pay for what you get for. You pay what you get. And so like with me, like, you know, if I'm getting paid a certain dollar amount, just me as a person, I always want to put my best effort forward even if 
you know, I'm not necessarily being compensated all that I want. So I'm not going to half-ass anything because that's just not me. Because I feel like even though they're not, somebody may not be compensating me to my standards, my, my output is a direct reflection of me regardless. So I'm not going to just do, I'm just not going to skirt, like, um, have do it because I'm getting half paid, you know, because, you know, then you, you, you never have any fighting ground to say like, you need to be paying me this because this is what I'm doing for your company. And, and this is what you're receiving as a positive, like benefit, because this is what I'm doing. And then I really love that. Like there has been a lot of sprout of sprout up of like black businesses and people getting into businesses that they know black people are consumers of like the hair selling the hair because a lot of black women they do use extensions in their hair or uh being nail techs and things like that you know I think it's a beautiful thing that we are we are better in ourselves as a society and I just pray that one day that we, we can, we will be given the equality that we deserve as people, not just because we black people and we creative and, and we, everybody take our culture and make money off of it. No, because at the bare minimum, we are people. We always been people, even when when we've been considered three-fifths of a person. We've always been people. We've always had souls, minds, and everything. And I just think that it's time for us not to have to be in a, in a survival mode. Like, you know, when, when are we going to finally be able to thrive and live comfortably, be able to save for vacations, to have residual residual income where you know we our money we we don't have to be physically working to to make money like across the board because I know there are a lot there are a lot of black people that own their homes they own property they own businesses they have residual income they have income in real estate and stuff like that I just would like to see the day where all of us have that opportunity and in, in, in at the least want that opportunity and become aware because there's a lot of us that aren't aware of what we what we can achieve. You know, we're, we're purchasing this home. I uh, recently purchased a home and, you know, I have cousins and stuff that want to purchase home too. So, you know, I'm doing my part or I have friends that want to purchase homes. So I'm doing my part and answering questions. And when I hear stuff, telling them stuff, you know, because I want everybody to win. You know, I don't want to be at the top of the hill by myself. You know, I want and then I don't want to be at the top of the hill by myself, you know, and then even growing up like. Uh, it was just so many things that just wasn't prevalent. 
like the ideals of stereotypes. Like I, I didn't really become aware of like stereotypes until I got much older. How? And then, um, and so as I got older, probably once I became like college age, because even though in high school and middle school I had, I, I, I really started interacting with different, uh, with different ethnicities and stuff like that. And so I started meeting people that were white, Asian, uh, Hispanic. And so, and And, you know, not necessarily, probably befriended some of them or became cordial enough. But, um, and so once I got to college, well, I went to an all-black college. So through that, through going there, the university, I had the opportunity to uh, participate in a pre-med program. a pre-med program, which the ideal of this pre-med program was to, to, um, help basically minorities get into medical school. And it wasn't like a handout. It was just, you know, this particular program was created because they noticed that it wasn't that many non-white people going to medical school or let's say non-white and non-Asian going to medical school. So they created a program to be able to to be able to matriculate 15 students every year into medical school. And so, um, and so, there, I met people that culture was totally different too. Because here, you know, like, you know, even though, like, New Orleans culture is pretty strong. And I'm just really realizing how rooted the culture here is. And, you know, even if you're, if you were raised here, pretty much you have, like, some flavoring of that culture. But, you know, meeting people that either were from Texas or Northern America or the islands and like the Virgin Islands and uh, Dim, uh, Dim, Dim, I can't pronounce it, I won't say it. <laughs> Dimica, it's not Dominican Republic, but it's like a country called Dim, Dimica or something like that. But just meeting people from literally all walks of life, people that's wealthy, that have uh, that have wealthy parents, and people who have immigrant parents, and people who parents don't live in the United States, and things like that. And so, just you know, meeting all those people and just being around those people, and uh, one day something. It was a conversation that I started with friends that I had made through the program and in, in Boston. And um what that's what the program was. And um I had been thinking about it for a minute and but the ideal that like black culture 
Like there's, to me, it's not like, I was question. I was like, you know, like black culture, like being black in America, there's no big culture, like things that you do, you celebrate and things like that compared to like, like, uh, like culture, like in a prideful way, like for instance, like, like Haitians, like they, they ride for Haitians and they have like certain traditions that they follow. And, you know, they, even though they not, may not be in Haiti, they still operate in this, in, in their culture and their beliefs based on where they're from. And like the same with like Mexicans, even being, even being in the States, they still have certain ways of life that they will always stick with. And I just, you know, really don't see that with black culture. Like there's not a big black culture. And that was my thinking then, because at the time there wasn't anything that I could identify me doing more routinely that connected me to my community or to my family or to our beliefs and things like that in compared to what I have seen from uh, people who are Mexican and Haitian. And so, but now, you know, being um, in a place where now I'm having, I have those awareness of black pride, my lack of black pride, in the sense of now I'm just creating that black pride. Like I'm being more aware of the gold, the, the, the gold that lies within my, my community, my culture and my skin complexion. Like being aware that I am different but not in a way where I now make somebody else the inferior and make me superior. But I'm different in a way that can never really be understood and being amazing in that place and, you know, being in a place to bring my community together and starting with my partner, my family, like just understanding like what position I'm in, how blessed I am to have the skin color that I am and being prideful in that. So now I'm recognizing that black culture, uh, a good part of black culture has been ingrained in other cultures and labeled as that. So I'm recognizing that now that something that may have been you know, black culture has have been stripped away. And that's, you know, a big part of the whole identity thing. You know, being being that some of uh, some of those identity and those roots have been, you know, I don't know what those roots are. And we are the only 
group of people that, you know, that is the case for. That's why now I'm I'm starting a family tree to learn all of that and and piece everything together. But so now I'm realizing black culture has everything to do with all the things that I experienced as a child, like for instance, going to church every Sunday. Uh after church we me and my family like me and my family, not just my immediate family, like my parents, my siblings, my cousins, my aunties, my uncle, you know, like me, I guess they would be the extended family, but it would be all of us. And we either go to the uh, the Piccadilly's that used to be in, the, in Gentilly in the strip mall where there's now a Walmart or used to go to Ryan's and Slidell because everybody who's from here, I don't I don't know if everybody would agree, but the Ryan's that used to be like here, it used to be hit or miss. Like something used to always go wrong. So we always went to the one in Slidell because the one in Slidell was better. And Slidell is like 30 minutes from New Orleans. And so we would we would go to Ryan's or what we started doing is uh we started going to New Orleans hamburger and seafood every Sunday. And you know, now I'm realizing that that was a big cult like we were really big on family orientation. Every holiday, uh Christmas, New Year's, Thanksgiving. Uh, freaking uh, like Martin Luther King Day, because there used to be a parade. They used to run like right on the main street. We used to have like hot dogs and stuff, and we used to go watch the parade. Even going out for Mardi Gras, being out there all day, we we watching the parades and everything. But we together, and so I'm realizing that is a big part of Black culture, like that family orientation and being. Like, even even if you're not necessarily getting along or you know at some point you may be at odds with that person, but you still come together and, you know, share those and create memories with those people. It's not really so much. It was just, you know, it was deemed holidays and, you know, everybody was off and things like that. And so we all got together. Even we... It was like anytime we had an excuse to get together and have laughter and play spades, because we used to play spades and um, pity pat uh, on the holidays for uh, money and stuff like that. I used to get my get my little uh, coins from my parents, and I used to you know sit in on the game and stuff and uh, play. But you know now I'm realizing that was all part of. The culture that was all a part of it. And so I'm just becoming more prideful in a sense that like I, I as as young as I can remember, I've never belittled black people. I've never thought less of black people. It, it just I just was never aware that it was a hinder. It was not a hindrance that people deemed it as bad. You know, because 
that's all I've seen. I just, you know, always deemed it as, okay, these are people, you know. I never deemed it as these are black people. We are oppressed. And, you know, the way our neighborhoods look look like this for a reason. No, you know, this was home. This was peace. You know, the people I was around, that was family. My school teachers, those were people that taught me and they taught me well. And they they made the class from a fun place. And my my mama, she she was a she was an example of 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 a good person and I just followed that. You know, I never knew that it was something like something bad happening to our community. Like even crime. Like when I was younger I wasn't aware of crime and things happening around me. And I lived in New Orleans in the period where the crime and everything was at an all-time high. And I was oblivious to it. You know, when I was growing up, I was I was only consumed with kid matters. Like, wanting to play football and there's no girls to play football with. So my brother, like, you can't play football. Or, you know, making sure... I, we in a, I'm in a house by uh, before the street lights, making sure I'm staying within the street parameters, making sure I'm doing my homework. I'm getting good grades. I'm not talking too much in class. You know, that was my concerns. And then as I got older, you know, the the ideal of that just started becoming more prevalent. And, you know, within the last year, I've just been hyper aware of, you know, how people are viewing me, even with all the accomplishments I have, even as hard as I work, how I'm being viewed regardless, and and how, and, you know, kind of seeing, like, people treat you a different way now, now that you're hyper aware of it, or just being aware of it, because I remember, like, maybe a week ago, went to the grocery store, Came in, came in the door, and the door greeter was a white woman. And, you know, me and my boyfriend, we had went in the grocery store, and we were in there already. Like, we had we had pretty much almost passed it. And then when, um, like, it was some other patrons behind us, and they happened to be white. And once they hit the door, she spoke to them. And, you know, and, you know, at first, I spoke back because I didn't wasn't aware, but my boyfriend he didn't say nothing, and I was, and then he told me, you know, she didn't speak until those people came into the door, and so you know you have to be aware of that too because you know you patronize in places that either the owner have an ideal of you, or think less of you, or the people they employ think less of you, and either way. I work hard for my dollar and my dollar is not going in your pocket. And that's, that's the, that's the protest that I'm going into because like physically being out there is just not something I'm moved to do. So I'm not going to ever force anything that I'm not moved to do, but I applaud people that are out there protesting and they protesting for a purpose and they protesting for our racial equality. And I embrace it's just all man-made. It's just so disgusting that, you know, 
a complexion of a person, people, what, people just find a way not to like you because of a complexion, because of a color on a spectrum. It's just so wild. But that's where I'm protesting, you know, being aware of who I'm giving my money to, uh, not patronizing places that, for instance, there has been a list that, that have come out that said like some of like the popular food chains have donated money to Donald Trump re-election, you know, uh, that's something I don't want to do. I don't want to patronize somebody that's, that have different beliefs than me because even, um, You know, because he operates in a way that benefits wealthy white men. And they, you know, they they dis, they disregard women. They disregard black people. Like, you dispensable. They disregard Mexicans, all Hispanics, Native people. They disregard everybody but white men. And I'm not supporting that rhetoric no more. And... Uh, where was I going with this? So, um, today, that's my, my pledge to put my money where my mouth is and, you know, only patronize people that have common goals or, uh, beliefs as I do. And even if they have, uh, employees that, that have other beliefs or no, I ain't patronizing that either because a part of what I buy from that place goes into payroll and no, I'm not paying a cent to your paycheck. And, and then also, um, finding, um, like if I, if I need some shoes, like being more hype, being hyper aware like to find somebody who, uh, like a black owned business that makes shoes, that make tennis shoes and something like that. So that's the mindset that I'm shifting into. And then that's my way of protesting. I will never tell anybody that they should and shouldn't do certain things. And I will not ever berate black people that are doing what they're supposed to be doing as far as like not not going against us because it's okay to disagree but I don't like when I hear black people saying um black black people like the Candace woman saying you know they they making the George Floyd man out to be uh uh like a a hero and I'm like what I'm like, I never heard that, but that's just some white talk shit. You know what I'm saying? Just another way to discredit everything that people are doing to, to fight against that. You know, nobody ever, never said he was a hero, but regardless of what you do, what, regardless of whatever transpired, whatever led up to him being arrested, that doesn't, that doesn't justify or that doesn't say he deserved to die, especially not die somebody strangling you, essentially. Like, you know, 
you could be the baddest person in the world, you know, but you don't deserve to die in a way like that when somebody is, unless you're doing some bad shit to people. But, but you know, you don't, you don't deserve to die like that. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, him calling for his mama and, and things like that. And that, I don't People just, like, they don't think before they speak, you know? Nobody ever, nobody don't make none of these people out to be heroes. They're just advocating for them because they died in fucked up ways. Like, how do you die in your sleep? You ain't messing with nobody. You, you either, you're exercising, you're trying to be healthy, somebody kill you. You driving in your car, you make them aware that you are armed and you license the arm, they kill you. You know, and then even, you know, people with the territorial stuff, you know, nobody deserves the, the, to die like that because of stuff that don't matter because you feel threatened. Like, you know, you know how many black men and women feel threatened every day? But, you know, when people discriminate, like, discriminate against them and do stuff against them and they have to take that, you know how many white people be dead if black people retaliated? When when they feel threatened, you know what I'm saying, if they had the license to do that? And I know the talk always comes up of, you know, black people killing black people. And stuff like that. But that's white people fault too. Like we. (laughs) We do play a part in killing ourselves. We do. But that's all goes back to. To this bottom of the barrel. Like it, it, it. They created a system. And if you not. If you're not aware that you are in a system. You're going to keep. You're going to keep becoming subject of it. It's just going to keep happening and keep happening because you you have created a, a hell of a system to make sure that if you if you're not aware of it, that you won't break out of it. No way that people should be comfortable getting just getting like doing a bare minimum or just getting a handout, even though some people may justify it as, oh, they owe us or whatever, but not in a way of on us because they think we need them, you know, but that's just my thoughts on it. You know, I, I've always loved black people and I am so grateful that now I'm coming into that awareness of like what, like being super, like being vocal about my culture and how I feel and what I can do to make things better, how I can add to the system by voting, making sure I'm voting people in office. Like, even though politicians always have some, most, uh, some of them have their own agendas when they get in there. There's agendas that's not, um, that's personal agendas. But my thing is, I at least want to always be purposeful in voting somebody in the office that would at least do something about changing my uh, situations that would affect me and my children, my children's children, my little cousins and their children, 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 children. 
you know, or my friends and their children, 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 you know, you know, so just being more intentional and, you know, finally being vocal because I'm very reserved, but now I'm learning that my voice is so valid and how I process things, how I feel about things need to be heard. And even if there's disagreements about it, that's okay because not everybody will agree with what you're saying. But I do believe we can agree to disagree that we can agree that we disagree and we can have a difference of opinion, but we can still make an impactful change as we work together in our own ways to better ourselves and not berate or add to or take away and stop harming each other and stop, you know, fighting other people wars with these drugs and, and all that stuff and territory and, you know, fueling over street blocks, you know, we have no ownership in where another culture come in and make millions of dollars off of us on that same corner that we fighting each other about. That's just my piece on it, and I would love to have any um, anyone who have a difference of opinion or want to just have discussions about it. I would love for that to transpire. I do have an email address. It's tklwpodcast at gmail.com, and I would love to hear any of your thoughts uh on anything that I said and just to create dialogue to then you know be able to start educating other people or just showing difference of opinion and creating avenues where we can be financially sound secure and uh and get credit for being the great people that we are This is a test. This is a test.